I usually count to five and we're more or less at five now for it to go live. So um, yeah, welcome to the, the Dan and Omar show as usual. Um, Omar gave me the intro duties today, so thank you very much for- um, I, I didn't know that was your trick to count to five. I've not been doing that. I've just been kind of staring gormlessly at the screen in the last few weeks and hoping for the live button to, to appear. Well, you know, we can keep talking about how long it takes, how many seconds to, <laughs> but um, yeah, I, yeah, generally is a five count on my part, but it's, um, yeah, pleasure to um, have, we, we try and get some of, um, um, some great guests on um, every few weeks to the, to the show, just to talk about a different aspect of the industry. So I'm, I'm absolutely delighted to get um, Hugo Schechter on board today um, to chat with us and um, Hugo, firstly, um, Thanks for being so well branded. I think you're the first branded guest we've had, is the truth. Um, but um, yeah, it's some, I mean, whatever advertising you're going to get out of it, I'm, I'm glad that you, you've come prepared. I've been listening to Essen for too long to know that every opportunity is a good opportunity to promote yourself. So uh, yeah, I, I've learned from Essen, so I'm, I'm, that's why I'm here in my branding. <laughs> no, it's really good. Well, look, you know, um, you're coming at a good time because um, Omar and I, as um, as renowned Liverpool fans um, are quite happy after last night's performance. And before we get into the detail, um, I actually, I'm not sure. I mean, now maybe you can tell us your allegiances or maybe you're not going to tell us your allegiances after obviously, you know, me, um, you know, uh, not necessarily working alongside you, but knowing at the clubs that you've worked at with uh, Southampton and West Ham. Do, do you actually support the team or do you just support the team that you're working with? Yeah, I mean, when you pay my salary, then you get my allegiance for that time. Um, I was an Everton fan growing up, but to be fair, like, it's one of those that when you work so hard inside a club, I would never want West Ham or something to lose to Everton. And so after a while, you know, it kind of, it, it, you know, I guess they're my third team, but it's not really a thing. Like, yeah, if they, if they were playing someone neutral, I would want them to win, but I don't, I don't really have any affiliation to them anymore. So, yeah, Southampton and West Ham are the two teams to look out for now. And, uh yeah, I guess I go through periods of really wanting to win, really wanting to lose, but uh, on the whole, kind of on side with them uh, at the moment. Well, look, if we take a quick step back, which is um, at least I know to Omar and myself and a lot of people in the industry, we are um, sort of aware of the type of work that you as, um, um, I guess, the head of a number of elite player care um, um, departments have um, been involved with the types of work over the over the last, you know, I guess almost half a decade now, which has sort of flown by um, since we met. Would it be possible just to give a little bit of an overview on, you know, the great clubs that you've worked with and the type of stuff generally that you've tended to to help um, with? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'll start right at the beginning, which was Indy Eleven, um, second division club in in America. Joined them straight out of uni, which I also did in America uh, as team operations coordinator, then promoted to manager. And that was kind of, I mean, that was a mad club because we we literally started, when I started, we had the manager and one player and we had to sort of build a team. We had to find players, we had to build a training ground, we had to get kit, I had to launder the kit. Um, and that was kind of all hands on deck with 10 staff or 12 staff in the whole club. So you were doing sponsorships and, you know, contract signings and I was more like a, I was like a club secretary and a kit man at the same time and team operations player care everything um then I moved to Southampton as, as their first player liaison officer team player liaison officer and that was kind of a much more narrow focus so just dealing with the players um personal stuff so when they came into the club assisting them to move into Southampton as an area and then 
helping them sort of day to day on that. And then um, two and a half years ago, or three years ago actually now, I was approached by West Ham to become their first head of player care, which was to set up an actual department rather than just one person doing it, which I did. And at West Ham, it was kind of, it started as quite a small department and then so it was it was three people, but in terms of importance, it really sat alongside medical at the top of the sort of that top of that pyramid, I think. And, you know, we were involved right at the end with, with, with David Moyes on pretty much all the decisions, you know, it was really myself, the head of medical and David and his staff kind of going through all the decisions, policies, kind of coming up what we wanted to do as a team. So was really pleased and honoured to be in, in that level. But that was everything from scheduling to team bonding to player care, um, as in like individual player stuff, relocations, um, travel to away games, fan mail, signed items, etc. So a lot of stuff in, in, in my the my department was responsible for play appearances as well, all the commercial stuff. So um, yeah, a, a quite a, a wide ranging brief. And I, I kind of sum it up easier to say it's everything that's not not football and medical rather than what it is because that takes a lot longer. <laughs> that's a, a long job description. Is there even a job description or is it? There is, like but it's not accurate to what yeah. I'm doing. Uh, when, I, when I was helping them to advertise for my, my replacement when I resigned and uh, yeah, I was trying to think like what, I put it on a piece of paper and I was like, I feel like I do more than this, but I can't really work out what it is because it just, it's quite hard to like qualify in, in one piece of paper, but uh, yeah, uh, you know, a really cool role and I really, I really enjoyed it. And it was, you know, not the easiest club always, but a good club to work for. Yeah. Uh, kind of like a Swiss, Swiss army knife human being. I'll take that. I'll put that on the, yeah. on the <laughs> yeah. <as> well. <laughs> I'm kind of curious. So the, as I remember that there was a book called uh, Soconomics mm -hmm. uh, and um, and Stefan Shemansky, who spoke about Didier Drogba when he first went to Chelsea, and basically, you know, this was in 2004-ish, maybe 2005, um, where the, the type of facilities that you described there and type of um, you know, support that you described there just was non-existent. Like yeah. You've obviously been, you know, in the industry for quite a period of time now. What what have some of the evolutions been and where, where are clubs at now today compared to where they were you know, 10, 15 years ago? I think it's changed massively in the sort of eight years I've been doing this. I think to look at, you know, when I started, it was kind of a lot of clubs had like these one man bands, which was one guy who was normally a fan of the club who'd been there a while, who, you know, had a mate who could change a tire, had a mate who was an estate agent. And, and so it was very much like just getting things done. Whereas I think player care now is looking more about what we can do proactively and how we can not just, sort something but sort something in the best possible way and i kind of look at the three levels of you know if we pick up a player from the airport when they sign level one is here's a taxi number call them when you arrive book a taxi and get yourself a hotel level two is we'll send a driver um and you know he'll pick you up and i'll meet you at the hotel level three is a club member of staff goes to meet him either on location wherever he is or meets him at the airport but in that car we have a phone charger for the uk a welcome pack explaining the club the coloring book for the kids snacks for the families you know and that's a kind of level three and then there's probably a level four and five that i haven't quite worked out yet but you know that's kind of looking at a lot of clubs at level one whereas in reality clubs should be at level three four because you know the amount of money they spend on these guys why wouldn't they want to put the proper process in place but i just think no one's really thinking of it like that it's still so reactive and not proactive and i think that's that's where you'll see player care continue to increase i mean resource levels are changing massively again you know 18 clubs in the premier league have some sort of player care but nine of those 18 are single people again so 
you know, there's still not a huge amount of resources when you've got 45, 50 people looking after players when they're at the training ground for three hours a day. The other 21 hours a day, you've got one person looking after them. It makes no sense in terms of resourcing. So I'm just trying to explain what I do and try and get clubs to buy into it and then help them to improve that. And how much how much adoption is there in the in the let's say Premier League at the moment around player care? I appreciate there are different different levels, but if you had to kind of characterise the average Premier League club, where would you say they're at? And, and and how does that compare to lower down the league as well? I mean, average club, yeah, I think you'd have one person, probably a firefighter who kind of solves problems as they come up. Good people, absolutely good yeah. people, who's not with the resources. I think it leaves clubs very vulnerable if that person goes sick or gets, you know, leaves or whatever. And we found that with Southampton. When I left, it went from having me doing everything to then nobody doing anything for nine months. And then my replacement came in and he was a bit like, well, what the hell has happened here? But because there'd been no one for nine months, it was it was really difficult for him. Um, and, and, you know, he's, he's doing a good job now, but it's, it's difficult. But then at the top end, you've got clubs who have 10 full-time people and there's 12 full-time people doing it. So, you know, it's really hard. But then you also have two Premier League clubs with nothing. Um, when you look down the leagues, you've probably got five or six champ five or six championship clubs have one person. Most of them have nothing. League one, there's like two clubs that have it. And I think league one, there's league two, there's one person. But even in Europe, I mean, it's fascinating. You've got big, big clubs who either have one person or, or nothing at all. And that's kind of been eye-opening for me since, since moving to money businesses speaking to these massive Champions League clubs and they're like, oh yeah, we just don't do this. And you're like, what? How can you, you spend more than some Premier League clubs and you just got nothing, just, just nothing. Or, you know, again, it's a very, that level one system that we spoke about. So it's, it's really trying to educate and, and kind of understand that actually this is, it sounds like common sense, but actually it's still revolutionary in, in a lot of clubs. And, you know, I think I was, fortunate enough to be able to build a really good department at West Ham, but there's no reason why West, West Ham should be in the top two or three clubs. I mean, I wouldn't say in the world, but in certainly the Premier League for player care, there's nothing there that's that's unique or that's, you know, special about that club that should make it so good. But actually, we were quite easily able to become a top club in that just by doing common sense and thinking about things strategically. I might just ask um, Omar, if that's okay, you go on one of the questions that, or one of the points that you mentioned around um firefighting problem solving um a lot of things that we've talked previously about um, in terms of i guess relationship building and building trust is one of the probably one of the main areas um that are of importance between you you your team and then talent is that probably right and then how do you go about how do you actually go about doing that in practice yeah it's it's vital i mean my the the situation i inherited at west ham was a very tough one you know my previous incumbent had left under difficult circumstances we'll say that um and so the trust in the player care department was was basically non-existent and so but football's a small world like when i arrived at west ham the players had done their due diligence on me which i found really odd is they'd spoken to you know players they'd played with internationally who were at southampton or players that knew me and they'd kind of done their homework to kind of work out what kind of guy i was which helped um but the way i've always done it is, is trying to identify those key people in the change room and and help them with something that they've been struggling with and spend a lot of time on this specific thing. So at Southampton, when I started, one of the foreign players having problems with his driver's license and he'd been trying to work it out for six months, couldn't, wasn't able to, we did it in a couple of days and he was like, oh, brilliant, you know? And he was like, well, can I, like, you know, they go to give out, they get their wallet out and give you cash. I'm like, no, 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 you know, like I get paid my salary. <laughs> it would be really helpful if you go loudly say in the changing room, wow, you go, that's really helpful. I can't believe you've helped me with that. And then some of the players are like, 
oh, what's he, what's he, oh, well, maybe he can help me with this, you know, and like, it's his snowball effect, but it, I think it probably took a year for me to get really trusted at West Ham, like re really to that point where they understand that I'm not a, a spy for the club, but I do work for the club, so my loyalties are, you know, there, but it has to be a balance, player care has to be a balance between the club's priorities and the player's priorities, if it's skewed, it doesn't work, you know, either way, so um, it's a tough one to get, and you've got to be, you know, at the end of the day, you're subservient to the players and the fact that they can give stuff to you to do. But you're also above them in the fact that in, in my role as head of player care, I was telling them, you better get in that room and film that thing for the sponsor that I know you don't want to do or we'll have serious problems or you're late, you know, you, you've got to be better than this. So you're in a really odd role in the fact you're below the players and above them and, and trying to balance that's quite difficult. But also in terms of personality, if you're too cocky, they'll be like, right, we're going we're gonna to take him down, you know, like we're going to come from. If you're too like quiet and meek, they walk all over you. So it's like a, you know, there's like a four way like graph where you've got to try and be in that real sweet spot. And it's, I, I don't even know how I would say that I've done it. It's just, you kind of work it out and you, you push yourself and sometimes you make mistakes and, and you own up to them, but it's a really fine line to tread for sure. Yeah. How, how um, responsible are you for, you know, you spoke about like team bonding as, as you know, one of the, the knives on that zombie knife of uh, <laughs> roles within the club. Uh, how responsible are you for like culture and developing kind of uh, working with the head coach and working with uh, the board and so on in developing a culture football club? Because I've heard stories of, you know, you hear about teams that are struggling and you hear stories about the the, the kind of um, dark jokes that players make and putting the club down and all that kind of stuff that can kind of create a vicious cycle around negative performance. How, to what extent do you get involved in that um, trying to ensure that there's a culture that people can rally around i think it depends on the manager so you know david moyes was always always about team culture and he him and i work very closely on a number of events and another number of things that he wanted done in order to build that and so you know that was i was a really key part of his team on that someone like manuel pellegrini was very good technically and you know it was more of a we're going to work them on the on the pitch and then what they do outside is their own thing and i think that there's not a right or a wrong approach on that but when you've got a manager who really buys into it, there's a lot of stuff we can do. So we, for example, introduced team quiz nights when we were traveling and had a late kickoff the next day. So if we're away at Leeds at 7.45, the night before we'd have a team quiz night, every member of staff, player and coach would be divided into teams, you know, split them equally on roles. And we do like a music quiz or general knowledge quiz or whatever, you know, for cheap little trophies that we'd give out. And um, the lads love them. Like really, you've never seen players argue about what the flag of the Seychelles looks like until they're locked in a hotel for 36 hours and nothing to do. And it turns out a lot of them know flags of the world through FIFA, which I didn't realize. So the flags of the world round was really easy for them, except Seychelles, which isn't on FIFA. So, um, but you know, that's the kind of thing where a lot of managers would be like, no, they need to focus there for a game. And actually, you know, I'm not saying David was on board with everything I suggested. Some of them, it was, you know, maybe a bit far, but actually he was like, no, we're going to do it. And he would be there arguing about what year, Britney Spears' Oops, I Did It Again came out, you know, for the for the quiz. And, like, fair play to him, you know. like, I, And I think you've seen that that culture and that, that success come on. And I'm not saying my quiz is the reason they're fifth in the league. But, you know, it's it's to show that, actually, we're willing to try new things and, and make, you know, understand there's a lot of pressure on football. It's a long season. So let's have a bit of fun and, and, and make them enjoy their time there while working hard but also have a good spirit and get everyone to work with people they wouldn't normally. And I don't, again, I don't think it's revolutionary, but football just doesn't think like this. And so when you do do it, 
when you bring something like team bonding into football, everyone's like, well, that's revolutionary. It's circles. But in football, it is. And I think that's, that's you know, where you can be, sort of get ahead. Omar, you've, you've heard it here first. Um, Hugo Schechter takes full credit for David Moyes' West Ham run as a result. <laughs> Specifically did not say that. <laughs> I'm sure there's some analytics on number of hugs in player celebrations and so on that you can kind of attribute to better player care. I'm sure there's... There uh, or the team performance based on their quiz night win. If the, the players who won the quiz the night before, how well they performed on the pitch the next day. Exactly. If it's there... Well, been up all night celebrating. That's the, that's the <laughs> With their £2 plastic trophy. <laughs> yeah. Question for you, because it was just, um, Hugo, on that point, <clears throat> sort of mixed into a couple of things was... I know more than most the amount of hours that um, it takes to to run such a department. It's a proper twenty four seven lifestyle. You talked for, as well about that delicate balance between being almost the master to the players, but the teacher to the players to a degree, and everything in between. To the extent that you know, we saw some stuff about some content on. It looked like basically like. Um, carpool content where you were like in the car having fun times with them as well but at the same time finding that difficult balance yeah. you know other than anything else it's it felt like when we, we chatted over the years that it's proper the positive grind but also negative grind it's like there is no such thing as really work-life balance because this is your life for quite a period of time yeah i, I think uh, the first point i think a lot of it, a lot of player care departments, and I, I would say wrongly focus on efficiency in this. If if a, if a player and their wife ask me to get them some new blinds, I can send the guy who installs blinds around the next day and sort them. But actually, if I've got a free afternoon, why not I go to like a John Lewis and um, pick out the fabrics and just talk to them, get to know them. And I've had that once where we, we I did that. And then the, the wife said, actually, the biggest thing I'm worried about is my son's got learning difficulties. We're not sure the school's right for him. Now, we didn't have that relationship before where she would have called me and said that. But genuinely, that was a massive concern. Because we spent three, four hours window shopping effectively, that 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 sort of admit, admittance came, and then we were able to fix that problem. Whereas, potentially, that would never have been done if we got it efficiently sorted. I th and I've seen clubs where it's all about how quickly you get things done. And actually, players aren't about, right, I need that done now, now, now. Very rarely. They always say it's now, but actually, in reality, it's... They'll forget about it tomorrow. Um, it's about trying to find the right ways to do things. In terms of the, the the grind, yeah, it is full on. I mean, it's 42 weekends a year, Christmas Day, New Year's Day. I mean, I, I went to every game home and away for pretty much seven years, I think nearly 400, 500 games. So it's a grind, but actually, like, I enjoyed it. Like, I, I didn't enjoy every single day, of course, but, you know, you enjoy the variety of it. You enjoy being part of the team. You know, when you're there on the bench at Anfield when you win, which happened in, I think, once. Um, Carling Cups, yeah. no, Carabao Cup semi-final with Southampton. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Shane, Long's, yeah. Shane Long's goal at the end. I think that's the only time I won at Anfield. Um, uh, so, yeah, you know, but th those sort of big wins, the cup finals and stuff, you really enjoy that. And, yeah, there was some, if you lose, we lost 4-0 to Oxford in the Carabao Cup at, you know, away. And it was, that's, you know, some low points like that but you know what it's like it's tough and like yeah i haven't had a work-life balance for eight years until i started this company but actually really enjoyed the last eight years and uh, really really pleased with with sort of the opportunities that i've had to be a part of these great clubs and now now you're obviously advising teams what what's the lowest hanging fruit for 
clubs uh, in, in Plaka? It depends on the club, really, because a lot of clubs just kind of say, well, we it's always come it normally comes when i normally get calls when they and something's happened and they need a solution right now and so that's really not what i could do i'm not a concierge company so if they call me and say our player hasn't got a house i'm like I, you know what do you want me to do like it, it, it's it's not easy like that but what i was then suggest is a full review and everything like that and that's where they're like uh, okay fine um but, you know, even just to have someone in place that is responsible for it, even if it's not a, you know, a full-time person, this is what I'm trying to work on the League One and League Two clubs with, is let's put in a process. You know, like we've got this new onboarding package we've, we've sent out to League One and Two clubs, which is we'll design you a really good welcome pack so that anyone can send that out. The club secretary can send that out to the players when they arrive. It just gives them some ideas of where to live, you know, with the different areas. Here are some contacts. It just helps them even settle in 10% quicker. It's worth it. And that's not someone, something that a club that needs someone to hire someone. It's just that first step into player care that, you know, we'll build that welcome pack. We know what we're doing. The West Ham one is beautiful. It's, it's you know, 30 pages long, leather bound, you know, with everything. But, you know, we can do something, you know, appropriate for a League Two club. And actually, if you see one player goes, wow, this has really helped me. And I just, I really feel like I've hit the ground running. It's worth it because even at that level, you're still playing people hundreds of pounds a week if not thousands so it's it's worth doing and you know all the way up to the full club review which is you know six weeks and a, you know a large chunk of change then you know that's what we would op- offer at the top end of the, uh, of, of the football period as well or you know to big clubs in Europe so you know there's there's all sorts of different things we can do for, for different clubs it, it feels it feels like the kind of thing that maybe they've done in the US before. I, I don't know. It feels like the kind of thing that the Americans would have got right first and now we're slowly struggling to support it. Is that, is that right? Yeah. I mean, it's it's interesting. It, it's it's quite hard. to. They call it player development out there and it's quite hard to find out much about it. I mean, MLS is, is behind the Premier League, but in terms of the NFL and stuff, with the different rules they have on agents there, you know, the agents here, like anyone with a pulse can be an agent and I'm, I'm not being too disrespectful to well, actually that is quite disrespectful to agents but it's true if you if you pass you know sign up you can be an agent in america in nfl it's it's hugely limited in issue uh, industry you must have an mba you must have all these kind of things so i think players on the whole tend to get looked after better there and i think the way that player cares come out in the in the premier league is because clubs have started to take that responsibility in-house if they're spending 50 million pounds on a player and they're paying him 100 grand a week the risk is all on the clubs. It's all financial on the club. So why would the clubs then put something like this for, to either some bloke or an agent or the player or whatever? Why would they put the responsibility of setting them in on someone else? They might as well bring in the house, know it's properly regulated, properly organised, and reduce the financial risk of that player not settling, not working out. So I come from the Premier League. I just don't in, in like the NFL and, and the MLB and the NBA to know how it's done there. Um, so, but I think, you know, the big players in America, just like they do in the Premier League, have personal teams. And that's what you see in Formula One is Lewis Hamilton has uh, the lady Angela who follows him around with the backpack and she's his nutritionist, his trainer, his, you know, she has his phone on him, like she has his water with him. Like that's kind of an individual player liaison. They have a team of people around him. Whereas in the Premier League, you know, you have probably the top, the Premier League players will have a PA or but you know most of them it's it's on the clubs rather than on the play. Um, Hugo, I was just going to ask um, a point there, which is you know obviously that you're you're that solutions finder um, problem solver 
Um, at the same time, the great thing when I when we were obviously talking about you, you know setting up the, the player care group and the great work that you, you're already doing is that you've got some obviously some brilliant testimonials from world class people that um, obviously respect the the job that you did for them whilst at a variety of clubs. Um, how, how easy or difficult is it as a result then? Obviously, you've got great testimonials to be able to actually, when you're speaking with clubs or speaking with individuals, to explain to them the real value add that you can bring to an organization now that you're sort of on the outside looking in rather than the inside dealing. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's funny because I wouldn't say I'm a humble person and I, I really don't think many people would describe me as humble either. But like, I'm really uncomfortable with the testimonials because... I didn't like asking for them and I don't really like the fact that I'm going like, oh, look, I've worked with Virgil van Dijk. Oh, wow, look how good he thinks I am. But actually that really opens doors and it kind of gives that credibility when you're going to people you don't know. Um, and so that's, you know, I really appreciate Virgil's Virgil's thoughts and, and, and comments. I find it really interesting actually how I, as I've sort of, I wouldn't say I'm out the football bubble, but I'm kind of on the edge of the football bubble or kind of on that sort of precipice between the two, how, you know, some people who used to text me all the time now won't respond to my messages or, you know, the, the you know that kind of like, oh, you can't really help me now, so I'm not interested. But I think what I've understood is that people know me as the player care guy, but don't actually understand what player care really means. So what I'm trying to do right now is a lot of sort of talking about what actually is player care? How can it be of value to you? Is it just a player's wife wants a handbag and you'll be there at 3 a.m. to pick, pick it up? No, it's not. That's really, and if a player's wife called me at 3 a.m. asking for a handbag, she would hear my honest thoughts. So it, it's not about that. It's about protecting the club's financial risk, you know, helping bring players together and settle them in, which, you know, is a performance thing. And, and as soon as you kind of, you, you do it as a, a money reduction, you know, a cost saving and a performance benefit, then clubs are interested. But, you know, again, I, I was trying to sell it when I started as it's the right thing to do. And, and that's nice, but that's not really what often what clubs are looking to do. They're looking to win on the pitch and save money off the pitch. So, you know, or, or spend more efficiently off the pitch. So by kind of reframing it and understanding that this actually can really help with that, it, it's been more successful, but it's not easy. It's really not easy because, you know, people who make decisions at football clubs get hundreds of pitches a day, you know, so to really stand out is difficult. So, you know, it, it is what it is. I, I'm enjoying the challenge of being a business owner. I've never done, had to do, you know, PR or marketing or accounting or, you know, any of this kind of stuff that I've, I've, you know, I've always been in part of an organization. So to be doing this for the first time is actually quite fun for me. It's quite interesting for me. Um, but also it's, it's, you know, going from having a department to have it, you know, basically working by myself has also been a challenge, you know, to try and get used to that. Who do I bounce stuff off? You know, yeah, I can call Dan, but I can only call him a couple of days a week before he uh, stops answering my phone calls. So, uh, you know, or starts charging me even worse. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's you know, you I'm try and get a couple. I mean, that's, that's. You used to hire Hugo and you go and on the show and, you know. No, 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 I'm always appreciative of Dan's advice. But yeah, you know, when having people you bounce them off every day to kind of having to figure out for yourself a little bit more, you know, but it's it's not challenges that no one's faced before. You know, people have been through this. And so I'm really excited for it. The, the course has gone really well, which is nice. So hopefully trying to educate that next um, that next wave of player care to do it right. Because I think a lot of clubs aren't doing it right. So to try and get the people through early before they start in into my way of thinking, I think is the is the right thing to do. And um yeah, it's you know it's exciting times really. Just I was just cool. gonna 
Sorry, I was about to say, and then we can end on Omar's probably much more perceptive question. Um, <laughs> tell us just very briefly about that course. So one of the areas, obviously, is a consultancy, but now you've um, you've teamed up to do um, a, basically a player care course that you're running that's already sold out and that you're obviously trying to do some more of. How, um, you know, where's the – it's just another avenue, I guess, as part of the, the overall um, um, service. Yeah, I think I, I get you know a lot of messages on LinkedIn and, and Dan. I know we've discussed about how how we do this before, but I've always tried to respond to every single person and help them. But you know, I think it, I needed something with more structure where I can actually get experts in. So we've got uh, Miguel Damascio, who's head of Academy Player Care at Sunderland. I don't know anything about Academy Player Care. That's his his specialism. So he will get a really good session with him. Toby French, who does all the careers, help with them. And this is aimed for people who've never worked in player care before, but on the first cohort, we have people a 16-year-old and we have a 66-year-old. And that, that doesn't just sound good. That's actually true. Um, but, you know, that's nice to see that people are looking to do player care either at the beginning of their career or at the end of their career. And, and we're just trying to show them, give them the entry level, the basics. We're talking about hopefully doing some sort of advanced level, which would be for people who already work in player care and want to improve. But, you know, a, a lot, there's a lot of different ways to do things. So, yeah, we try to keep it really, really small. It's 16 uh, students in the class it's everything's live there's nothing pre-recorded and so we're trying to give that really individual feedback that really one-to-one -one, um up. we did the pilot a couple of weeks ago and it was we ended up just chatting you know like you just get into and daniel i know when when me and you speak we end up just chatting about random topics and going and actually it was really nice to talk to these you know young kids about what they want to do and their thoughts and why we think this and and i thought I think that's kind of a nice part of the course is, is how accessible these sort of experts are. So, yeah, it, it, it's been really good. Um, at, at some point, I think I'll become a full-time teacher if the interest continues and uh, we won't even bother with player care because it's much easier. But, uh, no, it's it's been really good to start with for sure. Thank you. I think, I think that's a good point. Uh, my question was definitely wasn't really that interesting. So uh, I think that's, uh, that's a good point. Yeah, no, definitely go with it. Let's end on. <laughs> okay, well, I was just going to ask. I mean, you, you've obviously, um, you know, you're particularly trying to help clubs get up to a level that's kind of acceptable or, or where it should be at. But is, is, there, is there a kind of next frontier for the clubs that are doing it really well? What's, what's the kind of next idea for, uh, for a club that really wants to push player care to the next level? Well, I'd have, they'd have to pay my massive consulting fees. To <laughs> That's a good answer. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know what? I think I think it's trying to be the, the proactiveness is really the key, and I think trying to really tailor it more and more individually. We've got a, um, you, you know, you know, we've we, I'm developing a data model, which actually would I think Omar would be quite interesting for you at some point once I once I've got it work, but trying to, to track with data how players' well-being improves as they longer they spent the club and then trying to look at trends across clubs um i did do a statistics course at university so I'm, I'm kind of slowly working through it but um that's kind of something i'm working on in the background right now um to try and actually because a lot of times it's like well what what's good player care oh it's when the players are happy well it is and it isn't so how we can show how much impact the, the player care department's had on clubs and and how and on players and you know, from when they started, they were here and now they're here and then trends within the squad, what, what are players struggling with? So I would say the data part of it is once I can work that out 100%, that will be the next frontier. But um, it's been used in Australia in the NRL, which actually is, is way ahead of any other sport I've seen, the, you know, the rugby down there. So that's really way ahead of it where a set standard of player care is, is essential all the way through the league. It's league mandated. 
They have to be qualified. They have to have the certain positions at each club. I would love to see the Premier League get to that point, but I don't think it will. But um, I think that's probably the next frontier, if I'm, I'm really honest. Yeah, Very cool. Um, Hugo, it's been a pleasure as always chatting. Um, for everyone listening as well, um, I'm going to lift it over. But um, next week, we're actually um, uh, going to do the Dan and Omar show on Clubhouse. We'll see how we get on. And bearing in mind the international break, we're going to um, sort of pose, I think, the question that I can't take any credit for, Omar, that you actually came up with, which was, how do you think about fixing international football, which I'm sure we'll be able to discuss with some um, good people. And even, uh, I'm sure, Hugo, you'll, you'll come in and offer maybe some views to I would love to. Yeah, absolutely. Probably longer international breaks, you get more time off. I think that's the. <laughs> oh, I love international break. Yeah, more of them. They are when you work in club football, it's a godsend. And I can't. There are staff who work at both club and international, and they can't understand how they do that because they're mad. But uh, yeah, love an international break for sure. Yeah, good. Thanks, thanks, Hugo. Thanks, Dan. I'll catch you next week. Thank you, guys. Cheers. Thanks for listening. You can follow me on Twitter, TikTok, and Instagram at Football Law read my blogs and listen to my previous podcasts via my website danielg.com forward slash blogs please do subscribe to the Dundeal football podcast like share and tag me if you like the content if not my voice you'll probably also like my book Dundeal an insider's guide to football contracts multi-million pound transfers and premier league big business a bit of a mouthful it's available to buy in hard copy digitally via Audible. All links are in the podcast show notes. Lastly, the podcast is powered by 13, which is a fashion brand I've started. All proceeds go towards cancer charity research, and particularly the stellar work done by John Krell, who has helped my mum through some difficult times over the last few years. You can take a look at the merch and hopefully buy a t-shirt, hoodie, cap, or all three. Please do spread the word go to 13shop.co.uk that's 13shop.co.uk thanks for listening